Country Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. We've got a great show planned for you this week by listener demand. Lou Whiteman joins me to share his favorite picks for a defense stocks basket. Lou, welcome back on the podcast. Great to be here, Nick. I'm excited to have you on. If you can't tell, before we dive into the basket, I want to give some context on the defense industry. How big is the global defense industry today? So the global defense industry uh, expenditures topped $1.9 trillion with a T in 2019. That's 3.6% up from 2018 and 7% percent from 2010. It's the highest level of spending since 1988, which of course coincides with the Berlin Wall falling. That's all this according to Stockholm International Peace Research. Yeah, so uh, the biggest level of defense spending uh, since the Berlin Wall falling uh, obviously is significant. Just to give some additional uh, context on those numbers, U.S., uh, the biggest player in the world by a significant margin, 38% of global military spending. Number two, China, uh, they're at 14% of global military spending significantly. Their military ex- expenditures are up 85% uh, from 2010 to 2019. Uh, when you look at third place, India, a lot of would surprise a, a lot of folks. Uh, wh- wh- what is the role of India? How significant is that country when it comes to uh, the global military industry moving forward? Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think both China and India are very key to this conversation. China is obviously the reason we're seeing a lot of defense spending under the U.S. right now. But India has long been a tough nut to crack for U.S. contractors. Uh, They've traditionally leaned heavily on France, some on Russia. We've run into tech transfer issues. Uh, Recently, there's been a thawing of relations as far as military to military, especially because India is looking north at China and sees the U.S. as a good counterweight. Uh, We had a 3.5 billion dollar helicopter sale earlier this year. Uh, The administration hopes it's the beginning of something. But yeah, I mean, a lot of what's going on in the industry, China is kind of fueling us to counterweight and markets like India are opening up as global powers shift. So that's a lot of the growth story for these companies. Yeah, you see a lot of folks throwing around uh, this idea. I had uh, Daniel Jurgen on the podcast uh, maybe a month or two back, talked about this idea of a new Cold War uh, developing between the U.S. and China. You look at this this level of defense spending at, at the highest it's been since what, what many view as the, the end of the Cold War, the fall of, of the Berlin Wall. When you look at military uh, defense stocks as, as a sector, historically, how have these investments performed? So this has been a good sector to be a part of. I, I pulled uh, real quick before we came on, Northrop Grumman was the easiest one to track back to the 70s. Uh, they have outrun the S&P by almost 8x, a 25.9,000% return compared to the S&P's 3,000. Uh, just since the turn of the uh, century, Lockheed Martin and Northrop are both uh, just crushing by 10 times or more the S&P 500. This is a growth industry, unfortunately, and um, it, it, it continues to be so. Right. I just say, you know, uh, just to throw another, another number out there, 2.2% of global GDP in 2019 uh, was spent on, on the defense industry. So, so certainly a significant uh, chunk of change. Uh, but when we look over the past several years, some of these bigger defense stocks uh, over a five-year time frame are trailing the market. What's behind that? And what what would have been the outperformers in the sector? 
So if you look at the uh, chart, you'll see everything was going real well until earlier this year. Over the last five years, they were handily beating the market. I think the spade index, which is bigger than the uh, larger, but it's but it's heavily influenced by the primes, were up, I think, 40 or 50 percentage points on the S&P 500. Uh, we've had a one-two shot of COVID because some of these companies do have commercial aerospace exposure. So that has brought it down and there's been uncertainty. And it's been a, it's an election year. And we've seen a lot of uncertainty heading into this election in particular. Particular, uh, which we can talk about in a bit, but uh, things were going along fine until this year, and then uh, we've fallen off a cliff, like a lot of sectors uh, in in twenty twenty. Yeah, so, so you mentioned uh, the election. I was going to bring it up later, but but I'll but I'll bring it up now. How does the election fit into this this narrative uh, for defense stocks, and does it change it at all in, in, in your view? It looks like you know it, for for the purposes of where we are right now, we're going to have a divided government with, with a a Democratic president, a Republican Senate, and uh, and uh, who who knows what ha- I think it's going to be a Democratic House as well. Uh, so so what is, how does that uh, impact the defense uh, industry? So investors have a long, long memories, obviously. And the last time we had a divided government this way ended up with sequestration and uh, budget caps. The defense industry didn't do well at all. And I think that's what you're seeing built into these stocks. The more we had talk of, the more it looked like things were going to change, the worse these stocks did. Uh, looking at the election, I think overall, it's a, it's a modest sigh of relief. You know, I'm of a mindset, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, that the election wasn't really going to train, change the trends. Uh, the Pentagon budget was flattening. I think the fact that it wasn't a quote unquote blue wave, the GOP Senate should quash any talks that some of the big Pentagon priorities are going to be uh, set aside or, or put on the back burner. But to be honest, I think a lot of that talk was overstated to begin with. Uh, if there was a loser, the uh, current administration has really talked up a huge Navy of um, doubling the size of the Navy. Uh, so shipbuilders, I think, would be the loser. But, uh, you know, worth noting myself, and I'm hardly alone here, we've always been skeptical of those goals, and there still will be Navy growth. So I, again, I think it's a modest sigh of relief and uh, business as usual, hopefully post-election. So that podcast we did uh, kind of towards the beginning of the year talking about uh, those plans for, for uh, you know, our, our nuclear triad and those sorts of things. That's still relevant if folks want to go check that out. Yeah, definitely. Nuclear triad, great power conflict, which we've talked about before. And then I guess uh, autonomous or technology, ways to get more out of your money kind of by saving on personnel costs. Those are the real themes driving the Pentagon. And uh, that's not going to change no matter who's in the White House. All right, so that comes to to the basket. So when it, when it comes to putting together that this basket of stocks, what was your process uh, that you went through when picking these these uh, making these picks? So this is kind of a weird sector because defense companies, by their nature, they're going to trade together uh, because so much of their fate is tied to one customer. So uh, to outperform. This is an industry that either outperforms or underperforms together, kind of based on the macro environment. To try and pick stocks, it's important to try and look at growth expectations, to look um, to look at differences in these companies that either have led them to be undervalued that you think could be could soon mend itself or advantages they have. And so I think a basket in this regard, instead of trying to pick a winner or loser, to try and get a group of companies that appear to have advantage and uh, kind of hedge your bets that way. Instead of putting all your eggs in one basket, you're, you're, you have a bunch of different companies that you think have a potential to win and you should have upside no matter how it plays out 
assuming one of them does. Right. I mean, there's significant volatility in this industry when it comes to uh, there might be multiple companies bidding for one co- for one uh, one contract. And so there can be some lumpiness when it comes to who wins that contract. But they're but being able to have exposure to some of these major trends uh, that are playing out uh, can be a significant uh, help you sleep at night, whether whether depending on a, a few key programs. Uh, might concern you. And just, just for, for context, right. So uh, one customer is important when it comes to the U.S. Uh, you know, for a lot of these companies are, are American companies, but also the USA in 2019 spent more on military spending than the next 10 highest spenders combined. So for any business in the world, the U.S. is, is, is the, the most significant player uh, in this industry. When it comes out, you know, looking towards the long term, why w- why might now be an exciting time or an interesting time? Maybe it's never an exciting time uh, to to invest in defense stocks, but an interesting time uh, to invest in this industry. You mentioned we mentioned earlier this was the largest year for military spending since the Cold War, and uh, there was a peace dividend they called. It. I think Margaret Thatcher coined the term. Uh, Post Cold War, we did turn our attention away from uh, defense spending. That lull is over. The Pentagon, for a few years now, has been screaming that this so-called era of unquestioned superiority is is gone. China is investing. There is a urgent need inside the Pentagon to modernize, to play catch up in areas. And uh, I, I am very confident that no matter who's in the White House, who's in Congress, there is going to be a lot of money allocated for, to fund R&D and procurement, which is the part of the Pentagon budget that we care about as investors. Uh, also, this is an industry that is extremely healthy and we have clear visibility thanks to the way the government procures. Uh, The post-Cold War consolidation has created some very good streamlined companies. Uh, The top five, I was counting up this morning, the top five largest contractors have almost half a trillion dollars in their backlog. Uh, That is revenue predictability, that is growth into the future, even in a flat to declining budget. And uh, that should help you sleep well at night if you're an investor in these companies looking at the election results. Absolutely. So without further ado, let's get into the basket. I, I don't know if we plan this, but it's worked out that uh, we've set them up in the order of market cap. So Lou, what's your first pick for your defense stock basket? Sure. And I should say, I didn't want to just be boring and pick four primes or something. So we tried to get different sections of the uh, of the market, but we need at least one prime in here. And the choice for me is down to Northrop Grumman or Lockheed Martin. And I'll be honest, I really like both of them a lot. I could have flipped a coin, but uh, I feel like we've talked about Lockheed a lot on here and not so much Northrop. And Northrop has a lot going in their favor. So uh, we're going to put Northrop Grumman in here first. Um, it's a good company. It's, it's one of the world's biggest. Uh, they are two-thirds of this nuclear triad that we've talked about, which is the main U.S. defense priority. Yeah, so just to underline for folks that nuclear triad is is bombers, uh, ICBMs, and then uh, uh, submarines, correct? Nuclear submarines. Yes. And the idea, this is our defense against ever being attacked. So this is the the number one U.S. priority since the 1950s. So when you look at, so you, you mentioned these programs, obviously, uh, appear to be a significant priority when it comes to uh, the military's budget. And when you look at uh, this idea of great power conflict uh, moving forward, these are the types of programs that that are uh, a part of that, um, you know, uh, the, what was the Teddy Roosevelt, uh, you know, carry a big stick uh, type of, of, of mentality. So when you look at the, the financial profile of this business, how is that playing out in how the business is generating earnings uh, and rewarding shareholders? 
Generally speaking, it was a really good quarter for defense companies. We had a lot of beats. Uh, Northrop stood out as, I would say, the best quarter of the major companies. It was a beat and a raise. And more importantly, in this uncertain budget environment, they guided for 4% revenue growth in both 2021 and 2022. The big hit on this quarter, and I wrote about it for Lockheed, was this lack of confidence about revenue growth heading into 2021 due to some of the uncertainties. Northrop was pretty much exempt from that. And that kind of really makes them a standout. They're not cheap. It's 21 times earnings, but I think that's reasonable for this company, uh, given what they have and uh, how how well it matches up with the uh, Pentagon's priorities. If this investment goes wrong, what happened? Okay, so if there is one part of the triad that I would worry about, it's the ICBM. I worry about that less that we didn't have the blue wave because I think the ICBM was going to be targeted by. Uh, a, shall we say, further left government. So I don't, I can't imagine it going wrong, but if we do have even delays in the triad funding, it's probably going to come to that and that's going to hit north of Grumman. Also, while they are projecting revenue growth, they have uh, flattish free cash flow projections. Uh, there is a good dividend here and dividend growth is sort of baked into that price. I don't think we have to worry about the dividend not growing, but should they decide to pause dividend growth, that could spook investors, especially in this environment. So it could cause a, a, a flinch in the stock at least. All right. So a reminder for folks, that's Northrop Grumman, Grumman ticker NOC. So for, for pick number two in the basket, uh, what do you have for us, Luke? We're going to go with L3 Harris, which is probably the least or, or, or the least well-known prime anyway. This is a new company, uh, largely under the radar. It was formed a few years ago from the ma- merger of two mid-tier companies, Harris Corp and L3 Communications. Uh, some of the rationale behind this deal was these were second-tier companies that were doing a lot of what they call non-prime work, where they were contractors to the contractors. With this scale, they could compete for more prime work and, importantly for the story, more international work just because they have the heft to go out and sell. Uh, This is a company, their major business lines are heavy into space and classified. Uh, They have little to no international right now, only about 20% of sales, but a lot of the stuff they do, the high-tech communication systems and radios, night vision equipment, these are things that the U.S. increasingly wants their allies to have and with the communication side, easy plug and play with the US systems. Uh, With this company and the bigger size, they have a real opportunity to sell these products internationally to the allies. Uh, It's a big part of their pipeline. Management says they have about $20 billion in international bids out there right now. Uh, They're playing catch up there, but that's to an investor's advantage. So why why is scale so important here when it comes to, to getting these international deals? Well, for one thing, you just need to have the force to go out and pursue them. And uh, and, and a lot of this, too, it's, it's a slow sale. Most countries aren't dealing with a, a, a fraction of the budget that the United States does. It's hard to get them to pick priorities. And, uh, you know, th- these companies, it, it, it is kind of a case where these second tier items you need to make a lot of noise to get on the uh, to get on the radar screen. Uh, these are companies that were competing for a lot of these products in the U.S. Uh, the, Night Vision, for example, these were the two biggest vendors. Now that they are one voice going out instead of competing with each other, uh, from what I understand and what it seems so far in NATO, that's a much clearer message to get out, and it's and it's resonating. Yeah, and I'll tell you, just just you know, gut feeling as someone with a little bit of a legal background is that you know there's a lot of legal hoops you have to jump through to do any of these bids to sell, uh, uh, you know, 
military weapons just to uh, someone who is not the United States as, as a United States based company. And so being able to uh, consolidate some of those expenses under one roof, I could imagine, would produce a, a lot of savings. Uh, when you look at, at the business and the inter- integration that's going on here, what's the financial profile of this business look like today? So the integration is still going on, but it's about done. It's led to some earnings choppiness and it's kind of, it, it hasn't helped their cause to get on radar screens. Uh, but you know what, they, they're they selling off some of the product lines they didn't want so much, including an airport uh, security screening division, which uh, that looks like a smart deal to get that done now with COVID. Uh, the company said on the third quarter call, they will return 100% of free cash flow in the coming years to shareholders. Uh, doing the math, it's, you know, it's, it's this very much an estimate, but I have that at about $30 per share worth of cash that can be used for dividends, buybacks, et cetera. Uh, the dividend yield is 2%. That's pretty good for the market. That's not great for a defense stock, but I would be, I very much expect early in 2021 to see that go up. I think that'll help attract investors. It's not a cheap stock, but there is so much growth potential. I believe that it, it that if you're going to hold for a few years, I think it there is real, among defense companies, there is a real potential for this to be a margin and growth story in the years to come. Yeah, I mean, this this was in our notes, Lou, but it's something that I'm thinking about as we're talking. There seems to be a lot of transactions back and forth, spinoffs in these, these businesses. Why is that the case in this industry? So I, I would argue it's probably gone down in the last few years, but yes, there there is a constant pruning. Uh, kind of the the latter half of this Cold War experience and the sequestration experience was when when the revenue wasn't coming in. Boards had to take a long look at the businesses they were in and kind of where do we want to specialize. So we are in the latter stages, I think, of the primes saying, "All right, we are going to be an airplane maker." but not a shipbuilder. Now, you know, it's a very broad thing. Uh, L3 has the nature of it because they've done the deal so, so recently, they're still going through that process. But that's, that. You've seen, you've seen Lockheed Martin is the great example of this, where they bought and sold billions of assets uh, late in the last decade to just try and figure out what they want to be when they grow up. Yeah, I forget what the quote is, but there's a, there's a famous quote that's like, there's there's two ways to make money in business, bundling and unbundling. And I think maybe you see some of that uh, in, in these defense contractors. So before we move on uh, from, from L3 Harris, we've talked about those catalysts they have in some of these emerging technologies, uh, space, that sort of thing. Uh, again, like, like, like I asked earlier about Northrop Grumman, if this investment goes wrong, what happens? So some of these products we've discussed, like night vision goggles, they could be described as discretionary in a tight environment. I I think over time, I, I think the communications is going to hold up real well. I think in general that that these are important products, but we're not at war right now. If there really is budget pruning, we could see delays on that. Uh, also, in a worst case scenario, if we have a, a fall in the size of force, if we if we literally decide we need a smaller army, that's going to impact some of the growth projections. I think they can, I, I think there's enough potential growth. I don't worry about these things, but this isn't, this isn't the slam dunk case that a nuclear triad bomber is. And um, in, in an environment where the budget is a little uncertain, that is at least something to keep in mind. All right. So as we move down this uh, th- this basket uh, list, as you will, we're moving to some of these smaller companies, and maybe we'll see more of that uh, more of that dynamic uh, uh, play out. What's your next company on the list, Lou? 
So the next, I wanted to go with a government services company. And the one I chose was Booz Allen Hamilton, which is about a $12 billion company. Uh, these are the companies that do the IT work, outsource services, all sorts of, they're not building bombers, they're not building tankers, but they're doing a lot of intelligent stuff. And they're doing some of the mundane stuff like running the uh, the internet service for health and human services or some other you know, civilian government. Uh, you know, these are the companies that were really hit hard by sequestration. It was decided that especially with what was going on in the Middle East, we had to keep buying bombs. We can put up our IT, put off our IT upgrade. That didn't work too well last time. There's been a lot of fear baked into these companies this, this year that that was going to happen again. I don't believe it will. And I think Booz Allen, because of the strength of their business, the classified work that they do, even if that does happen to some extent, they're going to hold up real well. Right. These are the, the, the parts of the budget that are becoming more and more important as we move into this more cyber age of, of, uh, of military spending. Right. It's hard to imagine anyone who has followed the news in the last year and the talk of state espionage, government hacking. It's hard to imagine that the Pentagon in 2020 is going to say, we're going to put off IT right now. We're just going to back burner that. And I think that plays into some of these companies' advantages. Yeah, I think one thing that blew my mind, we're, we're talking about Booz Allen Hamilton here. There's another company in that, in that sector I looked at uh, this week called Casey, C-A-C-I. And in 1982, they were, the, they were the top performing stock in the market. Okay. At that point, before they had come public, they had 20 plus years of earnings growth of 30% plus. And then since they've become public, I pulled the number down. Um, let's see here. I pulled the number down. They're up 174,000% uh, uh, since they came public, which just goes to show just there's not that many industries where you can have that type of long tail of growth where demand is increasing year over year and there, there's ability to, to, to grow your business. And the fact that you've, you've had, uh, and Booz Allen Hamilton and some of these others have only come public more recently, but to have this, this track record of the industry of, of just how long uh, this can grow for, it just shows um, what the, where the opportunity is. And then you add in, like we just talked about, this, this idea that we're entering this world of, of you know, cyber, cyber warfare and that sort of thing. Uh, it, you know, it's not, it's not, maybe not one of these things that, that is going to uh, explode like a Zoom or, or some of these tech companies that'll triple in a year, but it's an incredibly long tail uh, that these companies um, are riding when it comes um, to growth. So, so all that to say, um, it, it seems as though there's a significant opportunity going forward. When we look at the business today, the earnings they're producing today, what does it look like? So Booz Allen, again, had a very good quarter. We're going to stick with that theme, but uh, they reported third quarter revenue up 11%, earnings up 27% year over year. Uh, now, I'll be honest, the guidance was a little slower than that, but we're still talking 7 to 8% growth. Um, and this is a very conservative company. They tend to be they, they tend to overshoot. I, so I, I think that's a very hittable bogey if they're doing that. Uh, this is a company with very little debt, lots of free cash uh, firepower. Uh, you know, and again, and, and this is to just to kind of make your point on CACA, because I think that stock is, it's interesting, you saw the beginning of an industry there. Uh, no matter where you fall politically, given our deficit, given the budget strain, it's hard to imagine less will be outsourced from the government in the years to come. And that's on the state level too, where Booz Allen is again, very, very active on the state level. It is easy to see how more and more of this burden is going to be shifted to these companies. And that is a great growth opportunity for them. Yeah, Khaki, th thanks, thanks, Lou, for catching me. This is why, this is why we pay you the big bucks. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so so uh, last one on, on, on Booz Allen, uh, you, know, you, you buy this stock uh, and you know, the investment goes wrong, what happened? 
So it's, we should point out, this is the company that once employed Edward Snowden. And uh, you kind of need I say more. Uh, these are complicated businesses. They at times deal with very, very complicated issues, ethical questions. It's sort of an opaque business for that reason. Uh, that can limit its, its attractiveness to the broader investment public. Um, there is a scenario maybe where the Pentagon slows procurement, even if they don't cut off IT. So that could drag the earnings a bit short term. So these these are a business that requires a, a particular you know, they have to fit your taste. Uh, and if not, you should be worried uh, or you should, you know, move on. And, but uh, you know what, this is a company that is going to grow in the future. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it. Right. May, may not be for everyone, uh, but, but it is an industry that, that certainly is in demand and probably will continue uh, to be so if history is any indication. Uh, Lou, for the fourth stock in your basket, what did you, uh, what you come up with for us? So we went for something with a little more kind of uh, off the beaten path, the state path. We went with Kratos Defense and Security. Uh, this is a much smaller company under a $3 billion market cap. And, uh, you know, this is the high risk, high reward play. Uh, this is a business they do a lot in defense electronics, but they're best known as a drone maker. Most of the drone revenue today are these sort of dumb target drones that you just throw up in the air and let and shoot down for target practice. Uh, but they are moving up the value chain. They have some drones on demonstration with the Air Force that are just the stuff out of science fiction. Uh, the Valkyrie is the best known. It's a, the, it's a they call it the loyal wingman prototype. And the concept is it's going to fly alongside piloted fighters, provide extra firepower, and actually just provide extra radar dots to kind of confuse aircraft anti anti-aircraft systems. Uh, you know, this is a contract that we've been waiting for for a long time. And, and that is sort of a worry that we haven't gotten it yet. But uh, on the third quarter call, CEO Eric DeMarco said they expect a contract on a, quote, non-specified drone in the coming weeks and months. Uh, that's almost certainly the Valkyrie. And I believe the market will cheer, if not at least breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, they have other platforms, the Gremlins, which is the idea of a swarm of drones launching out of a C-130. Uh, they are a finalist in the Skyboard competition, which is where you get really cool. I mean, you're going to use AI to kind of have the drone make decisions on the battlefield and adapt to battlefield competitions. There's a lot going on in this portfolio. And what we know is the very early days of it. Uh, it it's a really, this is the sci-fi stuff that's kind of really cool to think about. And they are bleeding edge on it, ready to capitalize on. Yeah, this seems like one of those areas, uh, you know, the military was was the first to use drones, uh, and now drones are something that you see, consumer drones and those sorts of things. This feels like one of those where, where the military is on the cutting edge of this technology. Yeah, yeah, and they have to be because, I mean, we talked about the budget earlier, and, you know, it's important to note as investors, most of that money isn't being spent on equipment or R&D. Most of that is the mundane stuff like payroll benefits, all of that stuff. So if you expand the military, if you expand the, sh the Navy, you need at least 100 new people to run the ships. The obvious answer, if you want a bigger, stronger military without all that budget weight is more autonomous, more drones throughout the military. The Air Force, for obvious reasons, is at the, is at the cutting edge of that. And Kratos is right there with them making this happen. 
Yeah, so clearly, I think I think an industry that you could expect to grow uh, over time when it comes to, to drones and those sorts of things. When you look at the valuation of the company, I, I, it's safe to say the market expects that as well. Yeah, we're talking about 500 times earnings, which is not normal for a defense stock. Uh, three times sales even, which uh, is, I, I don't think any of these others are more uh, than two times sales that we've talked about. Uh, look, it's priced assuming these orders come in. So we maybe some of the jump has already happened, at least initially with the initial orders, but there is so much potential here. And that first order is just the beginning of it. Uh, I, this is, this is, a more of the typical full tech stock that you talk about where yes, it's priced to grow, but yes, it can even grow more than it's priced for, I think, if, if things go right for it. So Lou, this is one of those where I'm going to ask you the question about what could go wrong, but so I'm going to ask you another question though. So if things go right, what's the exit here? Does this company become you know a, a Lockheed Martin of, of drones or do you think this company gets acquired on its way up? What, what happens to you as a shareholder if things just go incredibly right? I, you know, I think both of those are possible. I think I think Lockheed Martin is an interesting one to talk about. Uh, they have a new CEO, and uh, there's a lot of whispers that they would like to get back to M and A, uh, and this would be number one. On, as a current Lockheed shareholder, I would love them to kick the tires real hard on this. I don't know if on its own it could become Lockheed Martin, which is the world's biggest contractor, but it can be many times bigger than it is right now. It is still a relatively tiny company. And I know darn well based on the potential that they wouldn't sell for 2.8 billion or whatever their market cap is right now. They would want a lot more in the deal. Yeah, so 2.5 billion that I, I looked at this morning. I, you know, enterprise value. I, I don't know. You have to look at the at the the, the specific numbers. So uh, on that other side of the equation, right? If things don't go right with this investment. Uh, what happens? Okay, well, we just talked about their size. And yeah, they are a small fish in a big pond. Uh, Boeing has its own loyal wingman prototype. Uh, it's being done out of Australia, and there's a lot of questions about that. But uh, you know, Boeing has very deep product pockets, and Boeing can make its mark. Uh, similar with Skyboard, Kratos is up there against Northrop. They're in there against Boeing. Uh, you know, we're counting on these coming through. They look like a good chance, but you know, this is an open competition. And if it doesn't, then at the very least, that valuation doesn't look as if the potential goes out, some of the, the air is going to come out of that balloon. So again, this is the high risk, but it is the potential high reward. And is this one of those where it could be it could be kind of an event based thing where they don't get the contract and everybody realizes that and it's like, oh, no, uh, there could be some volatility here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the day that comes out that they don't, it's going to be. But what else do you have? And, you know, it's, it's a lot like these tech stocks and maybe that works out over time. It tends not to work out over the next few months. Yeah, so, so be prepared for volatility. Uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, Northrop Grumman, this this huge, significant prime contractor with with lots of different contracts, are, are less exposed to that that type of of risk. For some of these smaller ones like Kratos, that that's something to think about and a risk to be mindful of. So that was our our our, our four picks: Lou Kratos, um, uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, L three Harris and Northrop Grumman. So to run through those tickers for you, the ticker for Northrop Grumman is NOC. L3 Harris is LHX. Booz Allen Hamilton is BAH. And Kratos is KTOS. Lou, you also had one honorable mention you wanted to talk about. Well, I just wanted to put in there, and I did General Dynamics. And I, I guess either G General Dynamics or Raytheon, I sort of excluded them because they both have big commercial businesses. But of the two, General Dynamics, for all of its drama, and it arguably doesn't have 
the defense business that some of these others have. Uh, but they do have the nuclear submarine in the triad. They do have Gulfstream on the commercial side that has really underperformed over the last 10 years, but I think is attractive. Uh, General Dynamics is the cheapest prime because of Gulfstream. If, if and when Gulfstream ever comes back, you're going to see that valuation gap closed. It's an intriguing company to watch, but because most of the drama is outside of defense, I figured let's exclude them from this and focus on a company like Northrop that's a lot easier of a defense story. Yeah, so that ticker is GD. And yeah, just for, for context in those earnings, yeah. Uh, so General Dynamics is trading at 12X earnings. Northrop uh, was, I believe, uh, 21X uh, yeah. la last I checked. So a significant gap there. And that reflects uh, the market's concern about this, this more private jet-focused business. Right, right. If you believe private jets will come back eventually, you should believe that they can close that gap. And that's an interesting stock. But again, that's sort of a commercial story. And it's gotten a lot more complicated with COVID. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to say anymore when that's going to happen. Yeah. We'll see how that plays out. General Dynamics historically uh, has been a fantastic uh, business to be invested in. Anybody who wants to read wants to read an investing book, The Outsiders by Will Thorndike is a fantastic book, and it, one of its chapters profiles General Dynamics. I highly recommend checking that out. Okay, Lou, before I, I let you go away, I have to ask you the Highlander question. There can be only one of these uh, of these uh, uh, defense basket stocks, and you have to uh, buy and hold them for the next five years. What would be your pick and why? So the boring answer here is probably the right one, and I should probably say Northrop, but you know, let's have fun. I'm going to take L3 Harris because I really, really do like the management. I really like what they have set up, and I think as they come into more radar screens, that they that that the stock, the stock is really poised to go higher in the years to come. All right, it's L3 Harris ticker LHX. We'll be watching uh, to see how all these perform, and maybe we'll come back next year to check in and see how we're doing. Lou, I'll be hopeful uh, that you will be with us to do that. That would be fun. That would be fun. Let's hope we at least beat the Spade Index or Defense Index, even if I can't beat the S&P, but let's beat both. Yeah, hey, hey, you know, uh, we'll see what we can do. Uh, always love having you on, Lou. Uh, looking forward to having you on again next time. Thanks. Always fun. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and fool on.